Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. Wow. Wow. Thanks, guys. You guys are rowdy for 9 o'clock in the morning. I got dressed up for you. I put on my bathrobe. My husband said, are you wearing your bathrobe? I'm all, babe, it's a kimono. I paid a lot of money for this kimono. And he's like, should I like wear my gi? Like what's, what, what, what's going on here? And I'm like, babe, this is a thing. This is a thing. So do I have any other kimono wearers here? This one? Yeah, see? Just saying, just saying. So konnichiwa. Anyways, you know, I I love that um, we're so connected. We feel really connected to this house. My husband and I were pastoring a church down in Lake Elsinore, California, and we felt, um, and we're from Fullerton. I've been in Fullerton for a really, really long time. And uh, we felt that God was calling us back to our community that we lived in. We were commuting to Lake Elsinore to pastor, and we wanted to be back in our, in our community of Fullerton. And so we, um, we stepped out of the pulpit, and we turned the church over to some young people that we raised up, and we um, were in this just weird transition because we stepped out of something beautiful and something vibrant into nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of scary. And so we just began to wait on the Lord, and we, just, we were just so hungry. We were so hungry for, for God to be moving. We were just so hungry for a Book of Acts church. And um, so we just began to sit at home. We started doing church at home, and then we heard about this crazy group of people down in Costa Mesa. And so we started coming here. And we would sit right in those chairs along the back there, and we would weep the whole service. And we sat here for a good six months, and we would cry every service as we just got filled with the presence of the Lord because it's so palatable and so tangible in this place. And so um, we decided that we were just going to make presence our home. We were like, this is going to be our home. And then my husband was driving to work, and Jesus came and sat next to him in his truck and, and said to him, I didn't tell you to start a ministry or join another ministry. I told you to start a church. And he had to pull the truck over. He was visibly shaken. And he called me, and he said, we're supposed to start a church And I think I may have hung up on him. I thought maybe it was a prank call. And he called me back and he told me about the the, uh, encounter with the Lord. See, because we'd been saying we want to start a ministry in Fullerton. We want to unite the churches in that area. That was our heart. We wanted to start a ministry that would unite all the churches. Because there's really a church on every corner, but nobody knows each other and nobody's doing anything together. And we're really ineffective. 
And so, um, but the Lord said, I, no, I don't want you to start a ministry. I want you to start a church. And so we did kicking and screaming and um, with much fear and trembling because we hadn't been in an environment that was vibrant and full of life and empowering and life-giving. And so, um, but after sitting here for six months, we were like, this is what church is supposed to look like. This is what a healthy environment looks like. This is what an empowering environment looks like. This is what a fun church looks like, right? Because quite honestly, I was just bored in church. I was, I mean, I was bored. We would go, we'd sing our 2.5 songs, you know, then we'd have our, our, um, the word and, you know, and then it was over and we would go home and we would just check our little church box. But there was really no life change. There was really no life transformation. We weren't really seeing the power of God. And I'm reading about the book of Acts. And, and really, um, we're a four-square church. And our, um, our scripture that we have to have in our churches displayed is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But if you read about the Jesus of yesterday... He looks really different than the Jesus today. And so um, I wanted to get back to vintage Jesus. I wanted to go back to the vintage Jesus. And so um, I, I was speaking at this camp where I met Jimmy, and I actually got in trouble at that camp. And they, they pulled me aside and they said, Aaron, you're too passionate. You're just a little too bold and we're going to start getting calls from the pastors. So you need to tone it down. And I said, you invited me. <laughs> I didn't invite myself to this. You, you invited me, knowing who I am and what I'm about. You invited me. So either you get me, or it's all you. You can do it. I can go home. And he's like, well, okay, so I, but just, just tone it down a little. So I was like... So I went into um, the room, and I was like, God, give me more boldness. Give me more courage. Give me more power. Give me more fire. Give me more sass. Because if they thought that was passionate, they ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. So I'm basically unapologetic for who I am and how God made me. Yeah. As we all should be. Isn't that right? And so um, I'm just really grateful to... Uh, this house and to Pastor Jesse and Jessica, the mother and father of this house, and how you love well, you love deeply, full of joy, and um, thank you for teaching me that you could laugh in church and roll around on the floor, and it's not of the devil. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. And then um, Chris, we had Chris up. Chris had this 
radical dream about Pray for California. And um, when I read about that dream, something on the inside of me just came alive. And so I posted about it. I was really praying into it. And I had a crazy encounter with the Lord one morning. I was standing on the bank of a river. And I was watching this lazy river because a beaver had built a partial dam. And so I was standing there on the bank of the river. And I saw this hand come out from the sky with a stick of dynamite, stick it in the dam, and it blew up. And I was like, what was that? And the Holy Spirit said, I'm removing the obstacles. I'm removing the barriers that was blocking the revival and the move of God in Orange County. And the river began to flow really powerfully. And I was like, what do you want me to do? He's like, jump in. I want you to jump in. And I was like, yeah. And then like 30 minutes after that, my phone rang and it was Chris. And I thought it was a butt dial and I didn't answer. I thought his butt just missed me, and I was like, it's not, he's not really calling me. But So then, thir- then, then he texts. He goes, Aaron, I'm not sure if this is your number, but this is Chris. Can you call me? And so I called him right back. And he goes, Aaron, what's God saying? What's God doing? And I'm like, Chris, what's God saying? What's God doing with you? And he's like, I had a dream. And I'm like, I've heard that before. And um, he began to share the dream, and I shared with him my encounter with the Lord, and he's, I said, so what are you doing for the 22nd? And he's like, well, I hadn't really planned anything, but I thought maybe I was going to do a Facebook Live. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, you're supposed to be at my church. I see just crazy miracles happening and all this stuff. And he's like, well, let me ask Josie. I'll see, and I'll get back with you in an hour. And I'm like, okay. And then 30 seconds later, he texts me. He goes, we're in. <laughs> when I got his text, I hit the floor in my kitchen. Now, I'm very dignified. And I, um, I don't do that. I'm not opposed to it. I love when other people, when it happens to other people. I'm like, yes! <laughs> but it doesn't normally happen to me. But I was plastered to the floor in my kitchen, just under the power of God, and I stayed there for 45 minutes. And so from that position, I called my husband, and I said, I just got off the phone with with Chris and hey what how do you feel about him coming up he was like I feel like it's the Lord and so then I called all of our pastors and I said hey this 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 thing just happened and and this whole time I'm on the floor and um I just thought it's gonna be good and Chris blew up our church and then we had Nicole last night and any fragments that were left any people that were hanging on any that religious spirit that was just like I'm hanging on for dear life Nicole came and was like And so I think we got rid of all the religion in our church. And so um, it was just really fun. So um, a lot of people at our church followed us from our old house, and that just didn't happen in our old house. Our old house is amazing. Our old house was um, um, one of the most phenomenal teachers of the Word of God, but they're just a, a little more... You know, and so, um, and I'm just a little more. And so, um, so they've kind of followed us over. So God has been breaking things off of us. He's been breaking things off of us. We've been unlearning a lot of things and relearning a lot of things. And, and one of the most profound things that um, Jesse said when I was here in the six months, it was, you said a lot of profound things, but the one thing that, that just stuck with me 
He said, the gospel is really simple, guys. And then he laughed. <laughs> and he's like, the gospel is really simple. And then you sang a little song. It's a simple gospel. And that profoundly impacted me because the church has made the gospel so difficult. The church has made the gospel um, just this kind of unattainable, like I have to go through all these classes and I have to do this and I have to do that and then I could be in leadership. <laughs> but when you read about the disciples, they was a hot mess. Right? And, and Jesus was like, you're in leadership. Well, I just, I, don't, I just met you. That's okay. You're in leadership. Come walk with me. Come live with me. So it was pretty cool. Um, so we've just decided to keep things simple. Yeah. So that's not my message, but I just, this is just how this house impacted me. But I did want to talk to you this morning about the prodigal son. I've got four boys. Um, one of our sons, our third son, passed away in 2010, and so he's with the best babysitter in town, so no, no worries there. And then my oldest son got married, and then he moved to Memphis. Yeah, so this prodigal son's story is really um, kind of near and dear to my heart. He went to go plant a church, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's in Memphis. It's not with us, and so he's a prodigal. And so we're just believing that, you know, he gets what he's supposed to get in Memphis and then comes home, right? <laughs> to be with mama. So, um, and then I have two other boys who are with me. And then, and then the, um, the greatest thing that ever happened to me since Jesus was my husband, Todd. And um, I call him Mr. Incredible. He just won't wear the outfit, though, for Halloween. <laughs> I bought it, <laughs> but um, a girl can dream. So anyways, I did want to talk to you about the prodigal son, uh, but I want to kind of do a different take on the prodigal son, because um, how many of you have heard the story of the prodigal son, the one son leaves and then comes home and blah, blah, blah. So that's good. We all know the story. But I want to do kind of a little different twist on it this morning, and I, wanted, I want you to see the prodigal son's story from the father's perspective and really what happened um, with the father because it's really profound if you understand the significance of what happened in that story. Um, in Luke 15, 20, it says, But while he was still a long way off, this is the son, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And people go, okay, well, that, that's beautiful. But, but the significance of this story in the context of the history and this environment that they lived in 
It's really deep and very profound. You see, in the first century in which the story took place, a Middle Eastern man, who this father was, they never ran. Never. They never ran. Because if you were to run, you would have to hitch up your tunic so that you wouldn't trip. And, and if he did this, it would show his bare legs. And in that culture, it was humiliating and shameful for a man to show his legs. So in that culture, men did not run because they would have had to hitch up their kimono. And then their legs would be showing. And then they would have shame and humiliation on them. And then they would be shunned. So here's the question. If it's shameful for a man to run in that culture, why did the father run when the son returned to him? Why did the father run? See, what motivated the father to shame himself? See, before we answer this question, we have to understand an important first century Jewish custom. If a Jewish son lost his inheritance among the Gentiles, remember there was major segregation. It was the Jews and the Gentiles. It was us versus them. So if a Jewish boy went out and lost his fortune, lost his inheritance in a Gentile community and then returned home, the community would perform a ceremony called a kazuza. This ceremony would be that when the son returned home, the entire community would bring some pots out to him and they would smash the pots at the feet of this boy and they would begin to publicly shame him and they would begin to yell, you are now cut off from your people. You're now cut off from your community. You're now cut off from your family. And the community would totally reject him and publicly shame him. See, the, the only person that could come out and kiss the son would be the mother. Because the women didn't carry any weight. And the mother would be able to come out and kiss the son. But the father had to stay in the house and not even acknowledge him as a son. But in this story, the father ran. He ran. So why did the father run? He ran to him so that he could get to him first 
before he entered the village. The father runs and shames himself so that his son does not have to experience the shame and humiliation from the community. See, the village would have followed after the running father. As soon as they saw the father start running, everyone in the village stops what they're doing and would begin to run after the father because it was such an unusual occurrence and they wanted to know what was going on. And so the entire village then would come out and they would have to witness what took place on the edge of the village between father and son. And after this emotional reuniting of the prodigal son with his father, it's clear to the community that there would be no kazuza ceremony. Hmm. There would be no rejecting the son. There would be no shaming of the son, despite what he had done. Oh, so good. See, the son had repented and returned to his father. The father had taken the full shame that would have fallen on the son. And he showed the entire community that his son was welcomed home. You see, the amazing application of this is really evident in our own lives. Wouldn't you agree? Our heavenly father has taken away our shame. Through his son, Jesus, who willingly endured the cross on our behalf. He took our sins, he took our sickness, and he took our shame so that we wouldn't have to carry any of it. So beautiful. As a result, we can be forgiven, we could be fully restored, and more importantly, we're totally accepted. We're totally accepted. See, we don't have to fear going home to our Father and confessing our sins, no matter what we've done or how many times we've done it. Remember the command we're supposed to forgive 70 times (laughs) 7? In our case, or in the parable, only the Father, only the Father could restore sonship in the family. Only the father could restore the sonship. The mother couldn't do it. It's so beautiful when you see it in this context. It takes on a whole different meaning. You see, in our case, we were sinners, and there's nothing that we could have done to restore our lost relationship with the holy God of the universe. But he was watching for us. He was looking for us. You see, it's not like the father was sitting around doing nothing. He was still having to run his, his business. He was still having to take care of his home. But he said the father was looking. How many days did the father go out and look at the horizon, believing that his son was going to come home? He was constantly scanning the horizon, waiting, believing, knowing that his son was going to come home. Do you know it's that way for us? The Father's constantly scanning the horizon, waiting for us to take one step towards him. And the moment we take that one step, he hitches up his kimono and he runs. He runs. 
See, I think the name of this story shouldn't be the story of the prodigal son. I think it should be named The Father Runs. The Father Runs. See, not only does God forgive us, but he takes upon himself our shame. He, he lifts off the weight that we've been carrying for our past mistakes, and he willingly wipes the slate clean. It's so beautiful. See, the law, there's the law. The Old Testament was the law, and we had to do all these things to just kind of make it through the next year under the law. But then the New Testament happens, and then we have the cross, and then now we have this, the way of the cross, which is love. And it's so beautiful. Because of the cross, we don't have to walk in any sort of fear because the Father will carry our shame. The Father carries our shame. But I'd like to propose to you, a lot of you are still carrying your shame. But the Father wants to carry it for you. See, shame is destroyed by authenticity and love. And the Father's still running towards us today. From the moment you wake up in the morning, the Father's running towards you. He's running towards you. He's relentlessly pursuing you with his love. You see, when you know that the Father is running towards you, our response should be to run towards him. But see, when we're clothed in shame, the natural response is to turn and to run away from. But when you know that the Father's running out ahead of everybody because he's going to take your shame, because he's going to take your mistakes, because he's going to take your past, and he's going to hide it within himself so that nobody knows that about you. so powerful. I love the story of Peter. Peter's one of my favorite disciples. Peter walked with Jesus. And then he says to, Jesus says to him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. And so what happens? Peter denies him three times. And so then we see later on in the story that when Jesus is raised from the dead and he appears, he says, go tell the disciples that you've seen me and Peter. Why does he say and Peter? I'll tell you why. Because Peter was so clothed in shame that he wasn't with the disciples any longer. The disciples were with themselves. Peter was now alone. Peter was outside of community because of the shame that he was carrying. Jesus knew that. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. And then Peter has an encounter with Jesus on the beach. And he says to him, Peter, do you love me? He goes, you know I do, Lord. I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Isn't it interesting that he says, do you love me three times? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. 
And I believe every time he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded, yes. He was breaking off the shame of all the three times he denied him. He was giving him an opportunity, and he broke off the shame of Peter right in that moment. Then we have the the woman with the issue of the flow of blood. See, this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. In that environment, if you were bleeding, you were unclean. And you could not live in the community with everybody else. You had to live outside of the community because you were unclean. And every time you went into public, you would have to yell, unclean, unclean, so people could get out of the way. And so you could walk through because nobody could touch you because your uncleanness would get on them. Can you imagine the shame that she was carrying? Not only that, she'd gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. She'd lost everything. So she lost her dignity. She lost her family. She lost her community. And she's living in shame outside of the town. And she hears about this man, Jesus. And she says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. And she risks her life because if she was caught touching somebody, they had the legal right to kill her. And it says there was a large crowd around Jesus, and they were jostling him. And then he felt the power go out of him. And he turns around and he said, who touched me? Can you imagine the fear in that moment because she had touched him and he legally could have killed her right on the spot. And he looks at her and I love his response. The very first word that comes out of his mouth is daughter, daughter, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Daughter, what did he do? Not only did she get her physical healing, but he broke off the shame off of her in that instant. And he said, you are now in the family of God. I'm covering your shame. I'm taking that off of you. I'm going to take that in within myself. And now you are my daughter. I love that. See, the interesting thing about this prodigal son story is there's another son. Isn't that right? And that other son was like, why did you give him your coat and all that? He was with prostitutes. He's doing that. Do you know in the word, it doesn't say that boy lost his money on prostitutes. See, I'd like to propose to you that that boy that was sitting in the house that looked all buttoned up and looked like he had his life together, he was the one who was struggling with this thing of prostitution. But the other brother was coming who'd been, who had shame all over him. He knew he was about to be shamed, and he would like to put that shame back on him. Now, I know it doesn't happen in this house, but how many times do people who outwardly look like they have it all together but are full of shame on the inside and somebody who's acting up on the outside that's a little more vocal about their sin, we'd like to just put it on them. 
so that it's not discovered in us. See, the father wanted both sons to be shame-free. He wanted both sons to be shame-free. And that's still the father's goal for us today. In fact, I, I like to know the things that Jesus doesn't like. It's kind of a good thing to know, right? What do you like, Jesus? Because I want to like that. What do you not like? Because I don't want to like that. And you know, it says he despises the shame. He despises. It says despising the shame. See, I believe the reason why Jesus hung on the cross is because his people were so entrenched in shame that that was the only way that it was going to break through the shame. See, because shame keeps you out of community. And our destinies are tied to our community. Our purposes are tied to our people, to our community. But shame keeps you from community. See, Peter, what was Peter doing? Peter was hiding away from his community. Why? Because he was full of shame. The daughter that God restored, she was outside of her community because of shame. This young boy, this son, lives outside of his community because of shame. Why? Because the devil knows if he could keep you in shame, you're going to stay outside of community, and you're not going to fulfill the plans and purposes for God. Why? Because God speaks to us through community. Yes, does God speak to us through his word? Absolutely. Does God speak to us just one-on-one? Absolutely. But more often than not, he speaks to us through community. How do you know this? Because in Corinthians, when it goes through the nine spiritual gifts, five of the nine are God speaking through people to us. See, but shame keeps you. From community. Shame keeps you from receiving from your community. But the good news is the Father is still running after you today. He's still running. Every morning that you wake up and you step foot on the ground, he saw you, took a step, and he begins to run. And I believe that he wants to begin to break shame off of people. Now, I know that um, there's, you've had a lot of messages in this house about shame and shame off of you, which is a brilliant message. And, um, but see, shame isn't a one-shot deal. It's a constant battle. It's a constant, it's a daily thing, just renewing ourselves in the word, transforming our minds through the word of God, reminding ourselves that I'm clean, reminding ourselves that we're holy, reminding ourselves that we're righteous. Why? Because every morning that you wake up, not only is the father running towards you, the devil is also planning your demise with shame. Shame is the number one thing I believe the devil uses to keep people out from fulfilling their purposes. I believe the richest, richest place on earth is the graveyard.
because people have died without fulfilling their destiny, and they took it to the grave. See, I want to be the kind of woman that when I wake up in the morning, all of heaven cheers and the devil says, oh crap, she's up. When I'm face to face with Jesus, I want him to say, girl, you did everything that I had in my heart for you to do. And I'm going to be honest with you, most of the time I'm doing it scared. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. When my son passed away, I said to the Lord, my son's life was a seed. And I'm going to go after cancer until I take my last breath. And we've declared that our church will be a cancer-free zone. And I know that Presence OC will be a cancer-free zone as well. It's also going to be a shame-free zone. It's a shame-free zone. And we're not going to put on people the struggles that we're struggling with, but we're going to love them, and we're going to accept them, and we're going to go out and run before them, and we're going to hitch up our tunic and our kimonos, and we're going to go, and we're going to cover those that come into our house. We're going to cover. Because love doesn't expose people. Love covers people covers people. See, and we've got to get this right, church. I talk to so many young adults that have left the church, and I say, why did you guys leave? You guys grew up in the church. You're like, you know what? We just kind of were, were just a judgment and all this stuff. We had to conform to all these things, and we were judged out of the church. It's time to love these people back into the church. I have a young gal. She was um, raised by two moms. And she was a little confused because she was in the church. And when the church found out that she had two moms, the church began to shame her. And she said, the only place that I found love and acceptance was in the homosexual community. The only place she found love and acceptance was in the homosexual community. And so then she started living a homosexual lifestyle. And then one day she decided to step foot in church again. And she encountered the love of God. And she gave her life to the Lord once again, and she stepped out of that lifestyle, and she's walking in wholeness and healing now because of love. It was because of love. It was because there was a church audacious enough to cover her sin instead of judge her and say, listen, you've got to go through our discipleship class before you could be in any type of leadership, and we can't have homosexuals as greeters. Lord have mercy, what would the community say? No, no, no. But they loved her. We brought her in, and we hugged on her and loved on her. We told her how amazing she is, how powerful she is. And now she is this amazing woman on fire for God. Why? Because we took her shame, 
and we said, there's going to be no Kazusa ceremony here today. Listen, I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care what you've walked in. You know how you go to AA and you say, hi, my name's Aaron and I'm an alcoholic or whatever you say, you know, and you have to identify that. It's just an interesting thing. Um, and I would like to say to you, hello, my name's Aaron and I'm a murderer. Because when I was 18 years old, I had an abortion. And here I am, pastoring a church. Why? Because God covered me. Because he covered me. And the blood of Jesus covered my past. And he doesn't look at me that way anymore. But how many people are walking around with the weight of their past on their shoulders because of what they've done, not realizing that the Father's covered you? He's covered you. He doesn't look at you through your past. He only sees you by your future. That's just the way it is. And so I'm going to ask you to be brave this morning. And if you're carrying any kind of shame, if there's anything that you've been walking in, any condemnation, any shame, anything that has kept you from community, anything that you did yesterday, anything that you did last night, Saturday night, listen, can you stand this morning? Because I just want to be able to break that shame off of you, and I want the leaders in this house to be able to cover you. And uh, listen, it doesn't... A lot of times, this shame and these things aren't um, like blatant. Like I went out and partied, I went out and smoked pot, I went out and slept with my girlfriend. There was just there's things like I love the bravery of Allison. She was saying I stepped out of kids' church because I was going to serve um, Nicole, and because she stepped out of kids' church, she felt shame for that. It's as simple as that. Do you see how quick it likes to come in? And yet in her bravery, she went to her leader and she said, I'm feeling shame. And I love that her leader said, I break that off of you right now. We will not have any of that. Bravo. That's the way it's supposed to be. See, God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. That's why he died. He died so that you could be free. Free from shame. Free from your past, free from guilt, free from all these things that would so easily like to ensnare you to keep you from fulfilling the purpose of God for your life in Orange County in this moment. Because revival is now. Revival's not in the future. Revival isn't coming. We don't have to pray for it anymore. Revival is now. We are it. We're it. So this is a sh- truly a shame-free zone. Well, praise God. So good job, Mama and Papa. Oh, well, here we go. Okay. There you go. Oh, there's more. Okay. Okay. Listen. Yeah. Yeah, see, shame is tricky. <laughs> it comes in subtly. 
Yes, thank you. I just, I celebrate you. And I just honor you for being so brave, for standing this morning. Yeah, we just, Father, just, you saw them stand, and he's just running after you right now. (laughs) Yeah, and I just break off that shame. I just break it off right now in the name of Jesus. I break off any shame. I break off any discouragement. I break off any thoughts that you've been entertaining, that you're disqualified because of what you've done, and I say you're qualified. You're qualified. Yeah, we just break it off this morning. If you're just around those people right now, can you just begin to cover them? Can you just begin to lavish them with the love of the Father? See, that's what the Father did. He ran to the Son, he hugged him, and he kissed him, and he threw his arms around his neck, and he said, I love you, Son. I'm so proud of you. Welcome home. Welcome back. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just fill them, fill them, fill them, fill them, fill them. Yeah, we just break it off. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.